Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Jones gets his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is! Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. G'day everybody, thanks for joining us on Inside the Ropes, great to have you with us, episode number 26, I think we're up to, Hazy, uh, great to be here again with you, great man, good to see you. Uh, Andy, I'm really excited, we've got some, uh, we've got a massive show today, two words, Gary Player. Well, I thought you were going to say Golfing Royalty is going to join us, and you're right, because Clates is here as well, hello Michael, how are you? Andy, I'm very good. Speaking to your microphone, Clates, you know how this works, yeah, stop reading your phone. Stop reading the phone, yeah, and speak, speak into the, the microphone. Oh good, <laughs> Gary Player, what a legend. He, I'm, I, I'm really excited, when we, when we get to him, I reckon he's going to have some interesting stories. I can't wait, it's not until he actually, because um, you know, I mean, you saw him play, Mike, you, yeah. you actually watched him I play. Played, I played the last round he played in Australia, I played with him. Is that right? At Huntingdale, yeah, the Australian Masters. He, it was still, that was, he was sixty probably. He was, Did you get him? No, he beat me. He's, no, <laughs> he, he shot seventy. I shot seventy-three. But he was, um, he was still a terrific player. You know, really good golfer at sixty. He could still beautiful swing, and he he was a tremendous player. And speaking of Ironman, Andy, we got to. I mean, not we don't normally talk about timings of this podcast, but we're sitting here this morning in Melbourne, just on six o'clock to record because that's when we can get Gary Player in a couple of minutes hopefully but um, we've got someone else coming on a little later oh this is an unbelievable story Freddie Lee from Perth who's one of our favourites he's we're going to speak to him probably around 7 o'clock Melbourne time as we record this because that's when we're in the studio obviously with Gary the poor young fella's getting up at four o'clock, Andy, to talk to us <laughs> Muppets. Unbelievable! This is commitment. We've got them from all over the globe. Well, that's what happens. See, when they're amateurs, they're desperate for an invite to the Australian <laughs> Open. They'll do anything for you. They turn pro. They want a million bucks to play. They don't want to talk to you. You know, only, only talk to my manager. They turn into they turn into complete pains in the back anyone, when they turn pro. Anyone to talk about managers on the show today? Anyone have a chat about them or not? Oh, gee, it's tempting. It's really tempting. I, I promise our loyal listeners that I will have a red-hot crack at some point in the future. One of these days, the time will be right, and uh, we'll have a chat about Mac, him. Mac O'Grady had the – there were some very good player managers. I had a manager, Steve Fraser, who was, he signed, Great who signed Ian Baker-Finch, Wayne Grady and I, the first three signings he had. They were tremendous managers. did a great job. Octagon? He, no, it was called Weekly Sport. He was, okay, he was right with Glenn Weekly. Oh, Glenn Weekly, yeah, yeah. It was a lovely – but we had a great time with Glenn. And then – it became advantage and advantage it became octagon there. Yeah, yeah. and did a great job. But the worst of them, Mac O'Grady, the player, had a had a favourite saying of mine. He said he called them parasites feeding off the carcasses of professional athletes. <laughs> and there were some good ones, but over the time, there have been numerous stories of the dishonesty and, and the, just how they've done nothing for the game aside from lying their own pockets. For the record, there are a lot of good ones, and I, you know, Tony Buffalo is. You know, a good friend terrific, of mine and, yeah. and a great fella, and you know he's got the best interest of the game at heart. But there's 
as Clayton says, there's a few out there with ulterior motives. Yeah. That's for sure. So well, I, you know, I promise, I promise, Andy, at some point, probably in early 2018, I'll have a crack. The door feels like it's open here, Clayton, but we won't walk through it right now. But we'll, you know, it's fair to say that they put themselves and the, and the money they make for themselves and and their clients in brackets. They're the 25 percent men before the best interests of the game. Partic- a- particularly in pl- we feel it particularly in places like Australia. Because we're a satellite, um, we're a satellite interest as far as this. We're not the mother load for no. these guys down here. So, for the for the for the international managers, um, for for tours like ours to get their interest, they're only interested in one thing. We've got nothing to do with what we're going. to... We'll probably talk to Gary Player about you know his responsibility that he saw and took upon himself to internationalise the game and. That, these these people that we're talking about who stand between, you know, the satellite tours and the player, they don't give a stuff about any of that. Mm. They're only interested in one language. Yep. And if you're not talking the right amount of cash, don't talk to me, you know? And Clayton's mentioned just in passing there a magical figure. And, you know, I think it's different for most players. You know, it might be a little higher, even it might be a little lower. But, you know, 25% of the words that came out of Clayton's mouth a second ago, that's... You know, ballpark of what it would be for most elite players for managers to take off things other than winnings. So, yeah. if, if we were to, for example, get Tiger Woods to Australia for five million dollars, that means that um, what's his name, Clates? Well, I think Steinberg, that, I, Mark I, Steinberg, I, I, would pocket a cool million. Well, I think they probably had a different deal. I, I don't think Tiger was silly enough to give a manager that much money. Oh, but that that yeah, that was just yeah. an example. Yeah. And I'm not yeah, Tiger, yeah, yeah, and it's not yeah, that yeah. number. I'm just, just by way of, it out, by yeah, way yeah, of yeah, example, yeah. It, it clearly sh- demonstrates the power of the the dollar in them making a decision. Um, you know, if I can get a million dollars out of his five million dollars to come to Australia, well, happy days. Just if I put a name on a contract and I put seven figures in my bank account. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Do mind, it. Mind you, Tiger's number's not five million anymore, but... No, uh, that, was bad, was. that was a bad yeah. example. But we know, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah let, let's just go so with... It's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's just go with Phil Mickelson, who, who might well still command $2 million. That's a four hundred thousand dollar decision or yeah. a five hundred thousand dollar decision for his manager yeah. for doing stuff all really like he really you know everything will be done for him all the flights will be organised all the, you know, if, it, if if they want it to be that way this is where we want to travel make it happen mm. this is where we want to stay make it happen we want a car make it happen um, just this is what we don't want to do make sure we don't have to do any of that you know narrow narrow the responsibilities of the player to such a point that by the time the contract's done. He don't have to do anything else. The manager, he just has to sit next to the bike on the plane. And um, oh, you, you could dust Phil Mickelson's visa card for fingerprints. You won't find any. He hasn't touched that sucker for a long time. Yeah. I mean, he, he doesn't go anywhere and pay for the buffet at uh, you know <laughs> at, down at uh, the RSL. Not putting his hand in his pocket. No. 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 So I mean, you know, and and to, to that point, like there's ridiculous demands potentially even on top of that. Um, whereby, oh, he's warming up. No, and I'm I'm going to walk away in a second. But you know, (laughs) there might be a case in point where um, a request has come through for a social media plug, for example, Mm. and the contract by the manager will be asked to be upped so that we can get a tweet. Or something like that. So I mean, the, I, I'm, I am. I'm going into. It's a bit more onerous now because it's 280 characters. A lot harder now to put out a tweet than it was a week ago. Let's, you know. Yeah, that's right. Might take 20 seconds. No, we, should, 10. we should. Anyway, this is yeah. dangerous territory. But I will say that they are um, a concerning factor in the overall landscape of the game. 
like the golf ball. Let's hope we can wind them all back yeah. at some stage. Okay, look, Gary Play's not too far away from joining us, so we'll, we'll, there's, there's a bunch of news that's been floating around that if we don't get to it before Gary Play, we'll knock it off over. We'll knock it off at the end of the show today. Um, a bit of controversy around the conclusion of the Champions Tour. The Charles Schwab Cup was uh, com- competed for on the weekend, and it's been one in slightly. Um, perplexing and controversial circumstances. Can anyone explain to me how this has happened? No. Well, all I know, the last time I looked was that Bernard Langer had won seven times this year, uh, didn't have his greatest weekend in the in the finale and is up the creek. <laughs> he's been knocked over by Kevin Sutherland. Uh, who, who didn't he's, win one tournament. And, he's won and, one tournament in four years. And in the first two playoff events, he was mid-40s, and then he, he wins the tournament, he wins the... Not that... I mean, I'm a bit in the Grayson Murray... Who, put out another magnificent tweet. <laughs> Just put your Twitter away, mate. Who said, who cares about these guys? They're so irrelevant. They're so yesterday's men, which is kind of partly true in a sense. It's a Champions Tour. I mean, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a retirement fund, but um, the Champions Tour was great when Sam Snead was playing and Jack and you know, Bernard's kind of relentlessly good to watch, but <laughs> is it really that interesting? And does anyone really care about Kevin Sutherland winning a million dollars in the Charles Schwab Cup and Bernard Langer not getting it? Because like Bernard really needs another million dollars. Like well, that. that's right, yeah. yeah. But um, it, it's a ridiculous system, clearly when someone can be so outstandingly the dominant player. And more amazingly, at 60, not 50. And, and, and not win the big pot at the end of the year. I mean, seriously. But that could actually happen in the FedEx Cup too. I mean, you just... Get hot, get in, so sneak in on the number. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Rory McIlroy did it two years ago mm. or two FedEx Cups ago. So, you know, it, there's a lot of flaws in that system that try to make it um, an alluring television commodity yeah, at the yeah, end of the try, season. Yeah, they try and contrive a tight finish when clearly, well, sorry, boys, Bernard's won seven, so he's yeah. won the thing. So we're not actually, <laughs> Bernard gets the million dollars on the first two. Well done, you, but you're the player of the year and... Let's go and play for the four hundred forty thousand dollars for the prize. Prize, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I, Mike, Andy was trying to wind me up and just also then pull me back. But you mentioned a great favourite of his there, Grayson Murray. Oh, yeah. I, I reckon we should just wind him up and let him have a crack at Grayson Murray for me. The, yeah, go. No, well, I'm a bit on this particular one. I'm I'm a bit I'm a bit, bit on both sides of the fence here. The guy can't control himself. He he, he 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 shut down his own Twitter account and he's rebooted it. It's taken him about five minutes to get himself <laughs> into trouble again. He's had to put out the rote kind of apology yeah, at the end of like, it. Which is like, just don't no, do it. Sportsmen should never apologise. Well, just, just don't apologise. Well, no, just don't do it. Did you see? I, look, I'm obsessed. Not obsessed, but I'm interested in this stuff. So he puts the apology out, right? Which he's hoping is going to curry some favour with you know the broader yeah. golfing community. He gets smashed for putting the apology out. Ah, oh, you weak bastard. <laughs> Stand your ground. You know, what are you apologising for? Yeah. You know, so he can't win the poor bike. He's just not bright enough yeah. to see the forest of the trees in the first place. So he shouldn't do it. He should just remove himself from the landscape altogether. But so, but I, I'm a bit with you. I'm a bit with Clates on this one to begin with. That he's made a rel- He's sort of made a bit of a reasonable point. Like, what's all the fuss about, fellas? Like, everyone just calm down. No one really... We're not that interested in what you bikes are doing. Good luck to you. Go over there and have your tour, but let's not make it the front page story of the week. I mean, that's not what he said. He said, you know, you bikes used to be relevant. No one cares now. Um, which, is, which is kind of true. But, you know, it's fun to watch 
I enjoy watching people who are, speak in your microphone, will you please? I, I enjoy watching people who play golf well. I don't care, man, woman, old, young. Someone who plays golf beautifully is worth watching. Bernard Langer is a yeah, is a fascinating study in watching just a bloke who's like Bob Charles has done the same thing every single day of his professional career and is still a great player at sixty. Of course, he can't compete in the PGA Tour, but having said that, he was in the last group of the Masters last year. Yeah. But you know, just just a abject lesson in just. Beautiful lesson in perseverance and consistency and hitting good shots and grinding it out and attention to detail. And you could teach a lot of young kids a lot about how, to, as Peter Fowler can or could. We should talk to Freddie Lee about this because I know it's his coach's pet hate about attention to detail and just how, how hard these guys work. Well, that was the thing that I took away from Langer at the end of it. Like Langer was sort of talking about how the fact that they're, you know, this system is a work in progress and he's on the committee that sets the rules and you know we're going to try this this year but it doesn't mean it's going to be the rules next year in terms of the finale but then after that and they actually talked about his year that he's had he was he was saying look I'm just trying to be better I'm just trying to get better on next year I hope to be a better chipper mm. and if, if it's if I'm not going to be a better chipper I hopefully I'm going to be a better putter mm. and that that uh, you say attention to detail, but that manic, and not everyone's got this. In fact, very few, I, I imagine, athletes have got in any sport. You get to the age of sixty plus, all they want to do is improve. Like, mm. s- relax, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Go and put on fifteen kilos and just relax. Go and enjoy your life. That's what I did. That was the only thing that stopped me. <laughs> yeah, Bernard Lang is not drinking Fanta. At six o'clock in the morning yeah. when he's about to speak to Gary Player. Yeah. That's not happening. Look, he's about to join us, uh, so we better get a break out of the way here on Inside the Ropes. Uh, we are continuing our road to the open. We'll talk about the build-up to that uh, after we've had it. the great opportunity to speak to Gary Player up next. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program near you, visit swingfit.com.au. G'day, it's Nick O'Hearn here. Whenever I get the chance, I catch up with Inside the Ropes to follow up on all the latest golf, and I urge you all do the same. It's a great show. Well, the Road to the Open series has been uh, an absolute winner for all of us involved here at Inside the Ropes, but it's next-level stuff, Hazy and Clates. I've got to say, today, the opportunity to speak to Gary Player, who won seven Australian Opens and was... Such a magna- magnificent international ambassador for the game every time he came down to these shores. Joins us on the show. Gary, it's an absolute honour to be speaking to you. Thanks for your time. It's a pleasure. I just love Australia and Australians, and I miss Australia terribly. But anyway, it's a pleasure to talk to you guys. What? Why was the... We understand the commercial reasons for why you came down here, and we'll probably have a chat to you about those on the way through, but it was more than that, wasn't it? What the Australian Open and playing golf down here came to mean to you. Why, why did it become such a big part of your life? Well, first of all, there was no commercial. We were paid something like $10,000 or something, uh, whereas today they paid hundreds of thousands and millions. I just loved Australia. The Australian Open, to me, was the fifth most important tournament in the world at that time. Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, Lee Trevino... Everybody wanted to come down and play in the Australian Open, and I don't know what happened. It just 
things seem to collapse in the golf world there. But anyway, uh, I was so delighted to come down there. And I tell you, uh, they called me Gaza there, and <laughs> I just absolutely... I, I can't tell you in words how much I enjoyed coming down there and playing. Well, how come that fascination reached around the world, Gary? I mean, the, the fifth major, we all loved that for such a long time. Obviously, it's not now. How did that get around the world, in your estimation? I don't know. I think it's the top players taking part in it all the time. I think that's what gave it the the, the honour of winning. I mean, everybody wanted to go to Australia and win the Australian Open, just like in tennis. It's one of the majors. So, Gary, a part of the problem now is that if we bought the equivalent of you and Jack and Arnold to play at the Australian Open, it would cost us more than $3 million because you would be charging a million dollars each, probably, or more, because... Tiger Woods played the Australian Masters here in 2009 and got $3 million. Well, so, you see, uh, I, I can't think in terms of that kind of thing because we never got that. Uh, we got a, a, just a, a handful of dollars to go and play. We wanted to play around the world and promote the game. And uh, one, of my, one of my favorite records is seven Australian Opens. Because it was over um, uh, nearly 20 years, and it's very hard to win consistently for a long time. And I always made a sure I travelled the world to play in different countries, promoting our wonderful game of golf. So, Gary, I watched you. Oh, it was a big deal for me. You had a beautiful pair of brown pants on, a beautiful brown polonic jumper as we, as we ran down the first fairway at Kingston Heath in 1970, in the days when... The gallery walked on the fairway. Do you think that was a good thing or a bad thing for golf that you had the crowds on the fairway as opposed to behind the ropes? No, that was a bad thing to have them uh, inside the ropes. You just couldn't play golf like that. Uh, I don't know how we did it. I don't know how people weren't hurt. No, keeping the people on the outside of the ropes, they can see much more. People were denied of seeing the golfers once they were inside the ropes. Well, I saw it because I could run. I, was, I, remember, I remember sprinting down the first fairway at the Kingston Heath to get the front row seat. But, Gary, you, you, you won in all corners of Australia pretty much. Did you? And I, I know you've given many politically correct answers to all these questions. Did you have a, a favourite course among the ones you won on or those you didn't salute at? Oh, no, the, the, the Sandbelt golf courses were my favourite and that's, you know, I'm so prejudiced because I won the Ampol tournament, which was bigger than the three or four times bigger than the British Open at that time. Wow. And when I won it, it enabled me to get married to my wife, Vivian, who's been a wonderful wife. And, uh, gee, how do I ever say thank you enough for that? I've been married, been married for 60 years and six children and 22 grandchildren. So Australia played a vital role in that. <laughs> that tournament got, pr- promoted all of that. Yes, it did. It wow. did. Mate, we, we, there's a funny story, and I'm sure you can enlighten us. I think it was when you won at Kuyonga uh, in 1965, maybe, yep. uh, yes. when you shot the just unbelievable scores. There was a, we, we heard the other day about uh, you maybe joking back and forth with Jack Nicholas about shooting 62s on, on alternate days. Could you remember yelling across the fairway to him or some, a story similar to that? Yes, he was. Uh, at that time, I'd shot 62 the first day. And he said, I'm going to get you a little butt tomorrow. And he shot 63 and I shot 70. I said, how can I have an average of 66 and be three behind you? But I'm going to get you American butt tomorrow. <laughs> and after 10 holes, I was 10 under. And he sent his caddy running across to see how I was going. And I said to him, I'm 10 under, mate. 
No, he said, not for the tournament. He said, for today. I said, I'm 10 under. <laughs> Jack Nicholas walking on the adjacent fairway said, you're trying to put me off. You're telling a big lie. <laughs> <laughs> what did he say afterwards when you actually showed him the scorecard? Uh, Jack Nicholas was a wonderful winner and a wonderful loser. He was, he was thrilled for me to have won the Australian Open. And then I was in the airport with yellow pants and uh, a red jacket. And white shoes, and a little old lady came up to me and said, "You look like the bus driver. Where do I get my tickets to go to <laughs> How much were you driven, um, Gary, by the you know the the uh, competitiveness with? You would have known at the time that you're playing in an era where you know you and and Jack and Tom and you, you're playing with some of the players who you knew would have been going down as the greatest amongst the greatest players in the history of the game. How much did that drive you? Oh, extremely so. But, you know, I hit more balls than any man that ever lived. And I traveled more miles than any human being that's ever lived. I wanted to be to have the best record in the world. I wanted to have the best world record. Not the most majors, not this or that. The best world record. And I think I achieved that by winning in more countries than most people have ever done and more times. So what do you say to the modern-day players who... You know, we joke on this show um, that you know half the blokes on the PGA Tour probably don't even have a passport. That what do you what do you say to them that they don't have that? They don't embrace that responsibility the way you did. I don't know what you say to them. First of all, to travel is a great education, and um, I don't know how you you can't put passion into somebody. That's something you either have or you don't have. And I was very poor as a kid, so I struggled, and I, every opportunity I had to play. Somewhere in the world, I enjoyed it and I loved it. Gary, we have we, we joke about AFL footballers who have to travel to Perth to play a football match and they've got to fly back in the cribs to keep their body oxygen up on the way back <laughs> to make sure they're ready to play the next week, and I laugh at that. You played the 1963 Australian Open at Royal Melbourne and you left Paris and the, and the World Cup at Sonoma Batesh on yes. Monday, I think. So yes. you and Bruce Devon, can you run through that trip from Paris to Melbourne to, well, the round to, to, to was play the Australian out. Open? The round was fogged out and Arnold and Jack said they were not coming because the travel agent said, I can get you to Royal Melbourne three hours before you play. And I flew to New York, to uh, LA, to uh, Hawaii, to Fiji, to Sydney, to Royal Melbourne. I got there <laughs> three and a half hours before. This is the most amazing one of my life, by the way. Yeah. I'd never seen the golf course, had a shower and a sandwich. Can you believe this? With a 16-hour time change, whatever it is, <laughs> and won the Open by seven shots. <laughs> <laughs> and I that, sh- that, that was a miracle, I can tell you. That was an absolute miracle. So, so which clubs did you play with? The clubs you'd play with in Paris or the Slazenger no, clubs? No, no. I had a new set of Slazenger clubs at that time and changed to the ball. I, I don't know. Look. I don't know how I did it. it. It was a divine intervention, I can promise you. So did you just play the course as you saw it in front of you? Is that kind of, you know, you, you stand on the first tee, you know, and, and you just you just play what's in front of you. Is that what you did? That's what I did. And I don't know, I still today tell people of all my 165 victories, that was the most amazing, not necessarily the most important. But today these guys are taking so much time they look at a piece of paper when they get on the green to see which way the grade's growing. Well, speaking of that, 
What do you make of the Green Books? Do you think they should be banned by the RNA? Yes, they, they will be banned. They Good. will be banned. It's just a matter of time. They make you the game. If you have a, a one practice round, anyway, look, a pro doesn't even know, need to. You put me on any green in the world. First time, I can tell you where to putt. If you can't do that, you've got problems. Well, they, They're making the game too slow, too expensive, and, it's, and, and, and they're making the golf courses too long. The one great dream I had all my life was to build one golf course in, in Oz, uh, and it never happened. We came close, but they ran out of money. But my goodness me, if you ever hear of a course, that's something I'd love to do before I die one day. Where was that going to be, Gary? Uh, anywhere in Australia. Oh, there wasn't something specific on the books? Uh, it was. It was in uh, the Gold Coast. Now, well, we'll go on to our other favourite bashing subject, which is the golf ball, because I suspect you have a view on the golf ball that um, would be in line with ours. What, what do you make of the modern ball and what it's done to the great courses and how they're played by the best players? They've absolutely ruined them. I think as far as the weekend golf is concerned, they must keep the ball and keep the equipment going for them. But for pro golf, you've got to cut the ball back 50 yards. I was at Sun City for the big tournament over the weekend, Sullivan, from Britain, hit a drive and a four-iron to the 10th hole. Nicholas used to hit a drive and a one-iron, and Nicholas is 60 yards longer than he is. So it's making people make the golf courses longer, using more water, and Australia and South Africa don't have water, and they're making the cost too high, and the members hate it when their golf courses get changed with bunkers in front of the greens for the old members and make the greens too undulating, the ball has destroyed the game, in my opinion, as far as that's my humble opinion. And a lot of players agree to that. Some, they say, well, the players are stronger today. They're not. Sam Sneed was the strongest and greatest athlete in golf that ever lived. Nicholas, Palmer, uh, Sneed, Mike Suchak was a football player, George Bayer. They were actually stronger than the guys today, so I don't want to hear that nonsense. What about, what about the use of statistics to prevent any change to the ball, Gary? What do you, you know, you see the RNA or the USGA or whoever it is, the tour say, oh, technically things haven't changed too much. Oh, well, they're just absolutely dreaming. They're, they're absolutely dreaming. And I'll tell you what's more, they're going to hit the ball not 400 yards. When I told that in television, they said I was crazy. You've got some players that are going to hit the ball 430 yards. A Michael Jordan, a Shaq O'Neal, or a LeBron James. We haven't come there. haven't had big people, really big people, play the game yet. Wait until that happens. The golf courses, they're hitting driving nine irons and eight irons to par fives. I mean, what is going to happen? I mean, at, at St. Andrews, the home of golf, they'll drive nine greens in another 10 years. Uh, are you confident that they'll wind it back, Gary, or, or I, not? Uh, that's an absolute certainty. It's an absolute certainty. I saw the longest iron until he played that new hole in Boston that Gil Hanstead at the tournament in Boston the longest iron Dustin Johnson had hit to a par 4 this year was a 6 iron no I tell you it's, it's quite sad it's very sad. very sad to Crazy, see isn't it? what's happening uh, in golf that's why the rounds are down people are changing their golf courses to make them longer spending more money and economically it's hurting then they levy the members and then the people resign because they don't like these long difficult golf courses uh, the whole thing is a mess. So, Gary, what would you say to Brad Faxon, who tweeted last week 
saying, I see Tigers come out against the modern ball just like Gary and Jack and Arnold and Greg have. He said, I'll listen when one of the current top 10 players in the world comes out against the ball. How do you, how do you counter that well, I don't you know. know. Crazy, I mean, every, crazy yeah, argument. Yeah. Everybody's got an opinion, you follow? So you must have respect for everybody's opinion. But I'm delighted that Tiger uh, has come out with that. I mean, uh, it's, it's just logic. I mean, all this. All the, you, can, you can see what's happening. I mean, you know, what's going to happen when you see they're going to... When you see people at Augusta hitting a 9-9 to a par 5, I mean, I, I, I don't know. And I see them scoring the kind of scores. Look... It's all a matter of an opinion. Gary, you've been changing tactics a little bit here. Uh, you've been linked with Jack and Arnie inextricably through your career. Um, we've seen you so many times on the first tee at, at Augusta National. What does that mean to you, and, and what was it like when the third member of that uh, trilogy wasn't there? Well, it's always been an honour to be selected to play off there, and we were in tears with Arnold not teeing up this year, particularly the chair had his jacket on, and it uh, just uh, it broke us down a bit. Is it hard to sort of comprehend what that means to other people in your eyes? Well, I don't know. You see, I can never speak for other people, but we, Arnold and I, travelled uh, the world together, and we were, you know, we went down gold mines in South Africa. He visited my farm. I visited his home. I flew in his aeroplane. We were the Arnold, Jack, and I were the big three. And there might be another big three come along and win 350 tournaments and 56 majors counting seniors and regular. That can happen. But I don't think you'll ever have a big three that travel together and live together like brothers as we did. I'm certain that that's absolutely true. And one thing with that uh, that they didn't do was engage, although Jack's not too bad. They didn't engage on social media and continue to be relevant to new fans. You are a guru on Twitter, among other things. How and why? Well, I love to see people win tournaments and encourage them because I struggled in my life and I know any time I got any encouragement, it meant an awful lot to me. But uh, anyway, uh, guys, i got to go to bed. It's yeah. <laughs> way past my bedtime. What's the time in Australia now? Half past 12? Very early in the morning over here, Gary. It's up past 6 in the morning in Melbourne. Uh, so, uh, oh, my goodness. Uh, it's been... Well, listen, guys, give my best love to your great country. I miss them so much. It brings tears to my eyes, and God bless Australia. <laughs> Gary, it's been a joy to have a chat to you on the program. Well, we've enjoyed it so much. Thanks for giving us your time. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Gary. Bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye. G'day. I'm my golf ambassador, Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for my golf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment, and just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. G'day, my name's Hannah Green. Thanks to Inside the Ropes for making all my travels on the semester tour so much fun. Well, how good was that? I, I can't believe he's, well, he's obviously set the alarm to stay awake for us in the first place. He's wound us up because he wants to go to bed. He's over <laughs> at his farm, wherever that is, over in South Africa. But how good was that to get 15 or 16 minutes with Gary Plyer? Unbelievable. And, you know, it leaves you wanting more. Like, I think we could all jot down a list of questions that would take him four or five hours to ask, but 
uh, or answer, I should say. But wow, what you know, that guy's a, a bona fide legend of all sports oh, of all time, and, and a tremendous honour that he's on inside the ropes with us. What was his relationship like with Bobby Locke? Do you know? Oh, I think pretty good. good I think yep. yeah, I think pretty good. Tom and Thompson fell out with Bobby. Well, they fell out over that incident on the final green at St Andrews when Locke moved his coin across, forgot to put it back, putted out, won the tournament by four shots, and then it came up after the thing had finished. And Norman von Knight had brought it up. Thompson never brought it up, never spoke about it. But Locke, I think, thought that Thompson had something to do with it. Right. They fell out a bit. But no, I think he was a strange bugger, I think, Bobby Locke. He was odd. And- Trivia Clates, three South Africans to win the South, win the Australian Open. Um. Yeah. Bobby Locke, Gales, Gary Player. Who was the other one? Ernie um, Els. No, Ernie never won. Did he win it? Oh, um, Clark, Tim Clark. Well done. I knew he'd get it. Oh, he did, yeah. Ernie didn't win it. No, nah, no. Nah. He, he never played it. it. I don't think he ever played it. And, and, yeah, oh, I'm thinking and the South African who won at Victoria. Kobe, <laughs> Kobe LaGrange, 964, won the Wills Masters. Oh, there you go. Beat, I, Jack, beat Jack Nicholas. Oh, yeah. There's some other things I want to talk to you about with, uh, regarding Gary Player because we didn't get the chance to, to speak to Gary about it. But we've got a young man on the line who, so from one end of the golfing spectrum, to the other who's got an, a genuinely remarkable story. Hazy, I should uh, defer to you here because you'll tell me Fred Lee's story. Now, we said it right off the top. This bloke's been good enough to get up. The, the birds haven't even started chirping over in Perth yet, and Fred's been good enough to get up to take our call and join us on Inside the Ropes. Uh, Fred, Fred, Fred Lee joins us. Fred, thanks for joining us on the show, mate. It's a, it's a joy to know your story, which everybody else is about to find out about. Thanks for your time, mate. Oh, thank you for having me. Fred, this is a truly remarkable story uh, on so many levels, but specifically the reason this morning we have you on is to congratulate you and ask you about being uh, taking up a spot at Stanford University, the famous Stanford University in, in California next year. Well done, and, and maybe you could share a little bit about that story with us right now. Oh, thanks so much. Um, yeah, to be honest, I never really have thought about it in my wildest dreams. Uh, I only really... It only really hit me um, a couple of weeks ago when I was actually uh, playing over in the U.S. for the Juniors Presidents Cup. When um, I got, I was fortunate enough to watch the real Presidents Cup, and um, I was lucky. I was lucky enough to get a photo and speak to Tiger Woods. And um, one of the things that he said to me was, uh, "Oh, so um, yeah, I'll see you around at school, buddy." And I was like, "Okay, cool." I walked off, and I was like, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute!" And then, yeah, it just hit me. That's very cool. Well, mate, we might come back and talk to you about the President's Cup and Gary Player and Tiger again in a second, but so that people realise the sort of incredible nature of this story, Fred, um, still 17, Fred, right? Uh, 18. Just turned 18? I'm in July. Beg your pardon. Fred's just finished his uh, HSC equivalent, whatever it's called in Western Australia, I apologise, studies this year. Uh, But in addition to that, Stanford, who were very keen on his golf, Andy, uh, insisted that he f- finalise his SAT studies so that he could actually hold a, a ranking and, and potentially qualify for a scholarship. So, and um, while we've been doing this HSC in Perth, Fred's just quietly been doing year well That's one to twelve studies through the US through the year, and he's got his SATs right on the number, Fred. I believe. Yeah, yeah, I was really, um, really fortunate to. I was really relieved to just get in, basically, because. Um, I needed a certain score uh, to to make the guys over in the admission office happy, and um, basically I had, I tattooed that score into my brain and just tried every way uh, to get that score I needed in the end. And um, it took me about I think two months in total 
just the whole process of just studying, grinding, and basically teaching myself a new curriculum to get that score. And um, honestly, like it all worked out in the end. I'm so glad for it, and I'm really happy with the um, just with that the efforts that I put in paid off. How do you juggle that, mate? In a really important time of forget golf and forget the US. It's a really important time in your life as a young man. Uh, how do yeah. you juggle, you know, your own year twelve studies in Perth with all that? Plus, going to the Junior Presidents Cup, as you mentioned, you went to Sage Valley Invitational, you went to uh, the Australian Junior, and you of course played the Callaway Junior there in Perth. Um, yep. It's only your four tournaments for the year, but that's another story we'll talk about in a minute. But how do you balance all that stuff? Um, I think that for to balance a really heavy workload, you have to understand to, like what what is important, especially to yourself. Um, to me, I understood that I really wanted to become a professional golfer in the future, and I also understood that I really enjoyed studying, and um, to me, education was extremely important. So even though that there's only 24 hours in a day, I think if you understand uh, if you understand what's important to yourself, then you'll find ways to better utilize your time, especially if you organize your, uh, your scheduling well. Um, and you do have to sacrifice some stuff, like uh, even though it's my last year and um, turning 18, obviously, uh, I've had to give up, you know, a lot of social occasions where I could go out with my friends, but I think um, they understand that I'm uh, trying to achieve something that I really have my mind set for. And for me, I understand that it's going to help me propel, or it's going to propel myself into the future. I'm, I'm not worthy, Andy. Oh, just, this is just... Um, you've just embarrassed me <laughs> monumentally, Fred. That's everything my life isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's not. <laughs> so are you finished your exams over there in Perth? Yes, I, um, I had my last exam on Monday. So it's it was, uh, such a big relief because the first thing I did was um, go home, take a quick shower, and then just head to the range and hit a few golf balls. <laughs> and it was possibly the best feeling I've ever had. You know, just to sit back, relax, and just do something that I really do uh, truly love. So to go and hit golf balls, Fred. This is a um, a bit existential. This one, but to go and hit golf balls once knowing that the study component of your life here for the time being in Australia is finished and yeah. that you've already achieved what you needed to achieve to get into Stanford. How much freer and lighter did it feel to be hitting golf balls without all of those burdens sort of yeah. hanging, hanging, um, hanging over the top of you? Oh, honestly, at the time I was, I was so invested into just, you know, the feeling of making contact with the, uh, with the ball and it just like, you know, all those emotions of, you know, uh, all the experiences I had over the years kind of came back to me because, um, you know, spending two weeks uh, studying for like six to eight hours a day um, and just grinding with three-hour exams, it really takes it out of you. But, you know, to get over all of that and to just hit a ball, it was, it was really overwhelming. But after, like, that kind of settles in, I kind of thought about it and I realized that I'll spend, like, um, I think six hours every day for the last five years, uh, five days a week at school. And I've just realized that um, I've got an extra six hours now. Yes. So, you know, I can use that. And honestly, I'm really looking forward to this um, upcoming basically half of the year because I've got about eight months to just get as good as possible and to play as many tournaments as I can um, before I leave to Stanford. So, Fred, right. people listening to this might think that you've sacrificed a bit of, you know, the social aspect of your life. And I'm, I'm sure that's true, but 
and this is not a question to you, this is a statement from my knowledge, you are an incredibly popular member of that golfing community over there, especially within the those who are close to Golf WA. Um, I know you forewent a chance to play the Australian Interstate Series in Perth this year, just gone, yeah. uh, which probably cut you to the core a little bit, but you've maintained an yeah. incredible popularity, especially around Royal Perth. What's it going to mean to you to sort of actually get back out there and grind away with your teammates and your friends in this next few months before you do go to Stanford? Um, it definitely means a lot to me because, you know, without without my golf club and without the people that I've met over the years, I honestly would not be able to, to have come to where I am now. Even the, um, even the competitors, like a lot of my good friends that I've grown up with, Minwoo and Curtis and Ben Ferguson, all of those guys, all of the guys on the um, on the team, you know, without the competition that they've provided, it wouldn't have made me the person I am today. So, honestly, it's I'm really thankful for everything that um, all the experiences that have happened over the last few years, and you know, in this upcoming uh, eight months, I'd honestly, you know, trying to just trying to play as much as possible um, in terms of just getting on the course and spending time with them because you. It's going to be a bit hard to see them when I'm over, um, over on the other side, other side of the world, uh, for the next four years of my life. I'm not sure if a bookmaker could actually handle this bet, Andy, but I reckon WA at the Interstate Series. Okay. We announced during the week that it's going to be at I think the men's is at Grange East in May. WA. It's going to be pretty tough. I'm to just do it. just saying, just yeah. WA. Fred, we were talking to Gary Player. Uh, the last round he played in Australia, Craig Bishop caddied for him. Yeah, yeah. Who is who's been your only coach? I think hasn't he? Has Bis, Bis been um, your... He's been my coach since I was twelve years old. Okay, so, so how's that? Yeah. So, so how's that worked out in terms of how he teaches and the, the sort of stuff he teaches? Um, yeah, I think being with Craig has been one of the most enjoyable experiences um, because he's he's a, he's quite a straightforward man. He basically puts it on the table. This is what I want. Um, and yeah, that's basically it. And I enjoy the stuff he teaches. I enjoy the theory behind it. Uh, he's very, very helpful. And um, if I do it, he's a happy man, and my golf gets better. So it's a win-win situation, basically. What, what was the experience like for you meeting Gary Player? We keep coming back to him today. Um, yeah, you, you had a great interaction with him, I believe, in in New Jersey for the Junior yeah, Presidents oh, Cup. Honestly, it was it was honestly just the most phenomenal thing. I think it has to be um, the last. I think the one week that I spent over there with um, the other international team players, as well as the American team on the for the Juniors Presidents Cup, I think that has to be uh, one of the best experiences, if not the best experiences that we've ever had to go through in our lives. Because you know, as young aspiring golfers, to meet people like Jack Nicklaus and Gary Player, it's it was just truly just world shaking. Um, especially because like you know. We're having like a Caesar salad, and you know, two meters away, Gary's going on about one of his stories about how he, when he first came uh, to America to play golf, and how he was carrying like six kids, and um, yeah, it was just phenomenal. So, when you get exposed to you know those sorts of environments and those sorts of people, Fred, what does it do? Yeah, clearly you're driven anyway. We get that, but um, what does it do to the appetite that you've got to you know achieve and uh, the you know the the kind of career that you've laid out in front of yourself? Honestly, it just it takes it to a whole other level. Um, because uh, we had a bit of a joke um, when we got home uh, on the group chat with the boys in the international team. We were saying, guys, oh, we've got to work so hard because, you know, that experience is amazing. And we're saying, like, um, 
in a couple of years' time. Let's all work really hard so that we can all play together on the real President's Cup team and, you know, uh, stick on to the U.S. But um, we were saying, like, okay, so, yeah, you know, as for inspiration, we're going to uh, stick a photo of Gary's stomach up on the on, the, on our roof so, you know, when we, whenever we wake up and we don't feel like uh, working hard, we just have a reminder of uh, Gary's uh, hardcore steel abs <laughs> to, you know, propel us. Did he lift his shirt and show you his belly? No, he he punched his stomach a few times and uh, yeah. I kind of got across like you know what it's been through, what his has endured over the years. Fred, that might be a bit uh, tough to explain to people on the way through in your life on occasions. Hey, Fred, yeah. why have you got that man's six pack stuck on the roof above your bed? That just might take some explaining, Fred. <laughs> that might hinder your social life more than anything else, Fred. Uh, hey, just so we know, just so we've got it for for posterity, who were the other um, young players who you were sharing those messages with? Just so that in case you do end up playing on the President's Cup team together in, say, 10 years' time, we know who, who oh, okay. was yeah, who, who, who were you sharing those messages with. Oh, so um, all, all my really good friends that have developed really good relationships um, because of that experience, uh, Aiden, Yip, um, Rayhan, Thomas, Luca Philippi, uh, Jaden, um, can't remember a few of last names because right. early in the morning. Right, of course, it's hard is. to print out. <laughs> uh, who else have we got? We got. Uh, You'd had Josh Armstrong and uh, yeah, Cal, and Armstrong, Carl Phillips. Carl Phillips. Um, We'll, we'll absolve no, you. That's we'll absolve you a couple. You've done well. <laughs> Rayhan Ray Thomas right. is a great little character, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's amazing. Um, all of them are really because. Uh, when we first got there, I think um, I was when before I got there, I was a little bit skeptical because I wasn't sure if everyone spoke English, if um, how the atmosphere would be. But as soon as I got there, I just knew that we were going to have an amazing time because um, we're all really, really aspiring golfers. We know that this is what we want to do in the future, and um, to be around someone like Captain, uh, sorry, uh, Trevor em- Emmelman, who captained the international juniors team. Um, he really brought us all together, and we seriously had just the best time. All right, there's so many fascinating layers to this story, and I'm, I'm, Clates, I'm interested in yours take on this once uh, Fred responds. But you've come to the game, Fred, from a really different background. It's not your traditional sort of rock up and play five holes and score against your mates uh, sort of setup that you've done in Perth. Um, mm. You were telling me yesterday when we were talking about this because I asked you about you know how that background had, had stood you, and you actually told me an amazing statistic. Correct me yeah, if it was, it, right. was it, tell me, tell me what you told me yesterday. So I think up to, basically up to 16, I was, I'd never played a game of Stableford. Um, I actually played my first game of Stableford, uh, I think about some sometime earlier this year because my coach, Craig Bishop, forced me to. <laughs> Not really, but um, yeah. And I think across my entire life, I've only played around probably less than 10 club competitions. <laughs> 10 club competitions? Yeah, 10, com- uh, 10 club rounds. Clates, you've played, I put it to you, 20 in November so far. <laughs> no, I, that's more club competitions than I've ever played. I've never played. I would never have played 10, I don't think. You serious? Oh, don't like go? Wednesday, you need to just turn it up. I just, just play. Wednesday, I just, Wednesday, right, play. I just oh, don't okay. go in the comp. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. well, that's probably because yeah. I'm, I'm shooting enough bad scores for that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
But, but for those for those listening, I mean, that's how we all basically grew up is trying to you well, know get thirty six yeah. points and and you know have a yeah. net seventy two or whatever. And you haven't had that experience necessarily. Yeah, I I think ever since I was growing up, I've had a bit of a different orientation. My first experience with a golf, my first experience with golf actually was um, I was two years old and uh, I was just a toddler then. I was uh, walking along one day as toddlers do, uh, <laughs> and. My dad was watching Fred Couples on the TV, and interesting thing is, um, the Fred Couples is my dad's favorite golfer, and um, hence why he named me Fred. Um, and I got to meet him in the Juniors Prisons Cup, which is really cool, but it's another story. Um, and while I was, while my dad was watching t- uh, TV, I was right next to him, and I was just mimicking swinging in the air. And um, my dad thought to himself, "Wow, that's pretty cute." So um, he got, he went to Kmart. Uh, like, five minutes away drive and just bought a plastic set of kids golf clubs and um that's where it all started and then um the first time i actually hit a real golf ball was uh actually just at a nearby park and um the park's about two minutes walk away from my house uh, from our house and um that's basically where it all started and um ever since then i've really just enjoyed just hitting balls and the game of golf but I've had a bit of a different orient- orientation to it because I've never really played in club comps at all my entire life. But I've always just really enjoyed working on basics, uh, working on my skills, polishing my skills, trying to um, get them as good as possible. And I think um, that's definitely one of my strengths and also one of my weaknesses in terms of it's allowed me to become this golfer who's relatively consistent, but also at times lacks experience from not playing on the course enough you know so it's interesting and it's one of the things that i'm working on uh in the next eight months is basically just playing on the course as much as possible to get that experience fred uh it's just one of the many fascinating things about you my friend uh and it's part of whatever you've been doing up until this point in time it's clearly working for you i think anybody who's listening to this podcast and this chat with you today is going to be um, putting your name in their little black book to follow yeah. the progress of Fred Lee because it's going to be it's been a, clearly been a really interesting one to this point in time you are an incredible achiever to be able to do what you've done this year from a study point of view let alone what you've been able to do with your golf is absolutely remarkable and mate the next three or four years are going to be um, a whole lot of fun for you and we wish you all the very best thanks for Waking up this early in the morning to tell us your story, and we wish you all the very best, mate. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Thanks Fred. Fred. Fred Lee joining us on Inside the Ropes. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch a golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. Hey, it's Jeff Ogilvy. I can't be in Australia very often, but I love keeping up with everything on Inside the Ropes podcast. Good bunch of guys, and I love listening. Welcome back to the show. We've had the pleasure on this podcast today to meet 
two players at the complete opposite ends of their golfing spectrums and journeys. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed it as much as we have. What it, did, would you subscribe to young players coming through, get over, and as, what you, as far as what you know about the American college system, Clates, would you encourage young players to get over from Australia, get over there and get involved in that if they can? Not really. Why is that? Because I don't think it's a very good system. But Freddie's going to a proper university where I know his dad's big on study and he'll get a degree that's worth something. I mean, going to yep. a, a university in the back of Arkansas and getting a degree in basket weaving is not any use to anybody. <laughs> the world needs <laughs> more baskets. I mean, don't dismiss the work that basket weavers do, yeah, Michael. That's true. But, you know, I, I think Freddie's going to go there and get a... He's, go, he's going there for the education as much as the golf. Yeah. And most kids who go there, go there for the golf. And I think Dale Lynch and Steve Band, which is why they started the VIS, was to stop kids going there because they thought, you know, we can do it better here. And, and the results of that program, Appleby, Allenby, Ogilvy, all those guys that came out of that program was, was there for all to see. Because they their view, Lynch's view was that university coaches were obsessed with results. It wasn't about teaching players to play on the tour. Yeah. It was about playing well for the college of this week. So they wouldn't make a necessary change for the long term because they had to play next week. It was all about next week playing well for the university. Whereas the VIS took a much longer view of the way things happened and that was very successful for a long time. But but Lynchy spoke long and hard about it's a bad system. I mean, all the players who played the tour for a long time came out of that system and people drew the bow that, well, therefore it's a good system. Well, if the system had been when you left high school in America, you went to work for McDonald's from six to eight in the morning and then you played golf for 12 hours a day, Fred Couples and John Cook and Marco Mira and Hal Sutton would have all gone through that working at McDonald's, play golf all day. They would have gone to the tour, and that, and that would have been the system. Yeah. That's the system. You go to McDonald's, you work for, from <laughs> six to eight, then you practice right as a day. So the good players in America would have gotten that tour no matter what the system was. The fact that it was a college system led everyone around the world to believe that's the best system, when it clearly wasn't. What about the notion, and I'm just extrapolating based on the interview that we've just done with him, that notion of perfecting the swing, learn how to hit balls, learn the, understand the technique of the golf swing as opposed, on the range, as opposed to learning how to play a golf course, which he clearly hasn't done much of by his own admission. And that's something that he's going to do in the next sort of six to eight months, yeah. go and play golf courses more. Where's the, is there a right balance in, in all of that somewhere? No, it depends on your, the way you learn, on your personality. And I think, but you would have played golf courses. You would have learned by yeah, jumping I, the fence and playing six holes after yeah, school, wouldn't you? And I had a lot of balls too, but yeah. you know, there was no teaching there. We didn't know what – I mean, Freddie's got a really good technique because Bruce has taught him – Bruce has emphasised the, the technical part of the game because it's important. But two guys, Ben Crenshaw and Tom Kite, same teacher, Harvey Pennock, grew up in the same place. And Pennock said to them – Ben, he said, don't listen to anything I'm telling Tom. And Tom, don't listen to anything I'm telling Ben because Crenshaw was a player – Kite was a practicer. Okay. Crenshaw went out in the course and he played holes. Kite beat balls. And that they, they completely approached golf from a completely different perspective, both of them. But Tiger learned how to – I was actually watching a thing last night about – it was an interview with Earl Woods saying – he said, Jack Nicklaus learned the game from the tee to the green. He said, I taught – he said, I thought that was wrong. So I taught Tiger to play from the green backwards. And it was why Tiger had a much better short game than Jack. 
So you know, clearly he was teaching. Clearly, clearly Tiger was taught how to play the game and understand the strategy and play, and the technique was a necessary part of that. But it wasn't an emphasis on you have to get your swing right before you can go and play golf. Do you find that fascinating, Hazy? Listening to that, like just that the different ways of getting the same results and. Um, you know, the approach of a kid like Fred Lee as opposed to, you know, he's clearly in a different stratosphere than players like you and me, but we just wanted to go and play golf courses. Like just, I, want to go and, I want to go and see if I can make par. Like, you know, that's just the way we learnt the game. Yeah, oh, there's so many fascinating aspects, aspects, not only to Fred, but just to what Clates was saying. Yeah. Oh, it, there's so many different ways to skin a cat. There's, you know, well, it, 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 it's innumerable. I mean, Peter Thompson was a player. David Graham was a practicer. Yeah. And David Graham just, and VJ Singh was a practicer. You know, he just beat balls. Gary Player was a practicer. But, the, but they knew, however way those great players got to where they got to, they all learned how to get the ball in the hole. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, v, VJ beat balls for eight hours a day, but he, he figured out, he knew how to, he had to get the ball in the hole. But he would argue, I got the ball in the hole because I had the ball great every day I played. I was long and I was strong. And I had lots of greens and I didn't have to be that great a putter because... Like the ball so much better than everyone else, or you know, or, or as well as anyone in the world did at the time. So, I know. think you can over practice, Andy. Like I'm staggered that you know guys will come off a, a tournament round and shoot a 76, and clearly they'll be frustrated with having having done that. But it might be a 40 mile an hour crosswind on a lot of holes, and going to hit balls on a range when you've beaten yourself up for five hours mm. in conditions that you know, anyone's going to struggle in. I think it's totally counterproductive and I'm staggered to see so many pros after a round go and do that. And the range is full after rounds um, of, of guys battling in wins and I don't understand that ever, Clates. Well, well, it depends what wind you're practicing. I mean, a left to right wind's a complete disaster, but a right to left wind's fine. Practicing down wind's a waste of time. Into the wind's great. I mean, I, was, I, mean, I played with Herb Elliott in the Portsea Pro-Am once. He told me a story about, he said, I trained harder than everyone. And I think it was at Merv Lincoln, yeah. Merv Lincoln, he said, it was a hot north wind, horrible day in Melbourne, 100 degrees, desperately horrible day. And he said, I'm going to go out to train because no one else is going to be out here today. And he said, I went down to the track and I'm, God, he said, there's Merv Lincoln training. I couldn't believe it. And he said, but he was running downwind. He said, I was running into the wind. <laughs> you know, he said he was wasting his time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he wasn't yeah. doing any good. And like Mike, Mike Hussey tells the story, they're getting ready for Christmas dinner at their place. And you know they're setting up the house and got the food, getting the food ready to cook yeah. and the whole thing. And he thinks someone's practicing right now. Someone's yeah. practicing. Somewhere <laughs> in the world is someone's practicing. Yeah. So he would say to his wife, "I've got to go and hit ball. I've got to go and have a net for two hours. I'll yeah. be back." Yeah. And he'd tee someone up to go and throw balls yeah. at him just for a little throwdown, yeah. because he was the, the notion yes. that somebody else was practicing yeah. and getting better while he was sitting around about to eat you know, roast lamb or something, uh, and some prawns just didn't sit well with him. So mm. that's the thing that drives me, isn't it? Um, other bits and pieces before we wrap it up. Uh, not a great week for Australians around the world on the major tours. It was a struggle uh, for the boys and the girls. Um, Matt Jones was the best of the Aussies, 16 back from Pat and Gazai, who won uh, my Cobra, beat Ricky Fowler. Did you see the shot Kazai played into 18? He's played this shot into 18 from the... Did you see it, Clates? I didn't. I wasn't watching it. No. So, no, I can understand why. It's a bit hard to get yourself up at this time. You watch these things. He's played, uh, it looked like about a seven iron from um, just inside a fairway bunker. His heels, on his stance, his heels were hanging over the edge 
of the edge of the bunker. And he's knocked it 165 mm. into the middle of the green to have his two-putt to beat Fowler and win his first PGA Tour event. There's going to be better shots played and more celebrated shots played in this season mm. of PGA Tournament, PGA Tour Golf. But boy, oh boy, in terms of the degree of difficulty and what was on the line for him, it's a shot a lot of people should go back and have a look at if they didn't see him play. It was... The degree of difficulty was, I imagine, pretty he's a, extreme. He's a pretty good player, isn't he? I haven't yeah. seen him play much, but big, strong kid. And... Yeah, yeah. Controlled oh. it well. No, yeah. it was amazing stuff. He showed a bit last year. Like, in, he was consistent for quite a while last year. I think that's a sign of, you know, you don't necessarily have to win in your rookie year. There's so many young sensations that sort of come out. Yeah. He, he, I reckon he's got a bit about him. Yeah, he might have. Um, Brandon Grace wins Ned Bank. Sam Brazel was the best of the Australians, 14 back. Uh, are the golf course in South Africa any good? Uh, I've played enough there to really make an informed judgment, but my I guess very good on TV. But my guess is no. I think people underestimate how important Alistair McKenzie coming here in 1926 for three months was to golf in Australia. He showed us what a great golf course was, what architecture was about. He spoke, he took on Alec Russell as his partner, and Mick Morecambe who built his work, and he he showed us what proper golf was. Uh. And South Africa never had that. They never had a great architect go there. And So I, I was up in Sydney last week. I look at Riviera Country Club in LA, which is not on a great piece of land. George Thomas did an amazing job. And we were talking about what would have happened if George Thomas or a great architect had gone to the northern part, you know, those, that, across the bridge in Sydney and built a great golf course up there. It would have transformed golf in, in that city. But no one ever did anything that was really very good. So Tom Dyke's redoing Concord now. Mm. And I think he'll do well. He'll do he'll do a great job there, and show people what's possible on that. Because it's good land up there, yeah. not sandy, but it's good. It's really interesting undulations, and it's just not very good golf because they didn't for for, for what I'm not, not the place to be critical. But 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 Mackenzie showed us what great golf was, and and we learned the places that learned the lessons of Mackenzie. We've got great golf in Australia, but South Africa never had that. Mm. I think the ones we see on that Sunshine Tour, Andy, just pretty bland, to bland. be honest, on oh, yeah. TV. I mean, is that where they play the Schwanee Open or the Joburg Open? Yeah, they're nice-looking courses, but they're just run-of-the-mill. There's Straight nothing, up and down. There's nothing yep. to say, you must yep. come and play me. We, yeah, play, we'll we played at a, a, a senior European senior event at Fancourt, which is Gary played at a course on an airfield and did a remarkable job on, on, a, on a flat site, building up the dunes and making it actually feel like it was a natural golf course, but... That was a pretty good golf course. We played a course in we played a, a Australasia versus South, Southern Africa, so they included Zimbabwe and South Africa on their team and Fiji because Fiji played on our team. But at Houghton, which was just a very average Kaikuya Sydney golf course, yeah. you know, very you know, very average. It was a, it would maybe be in the, it might be the 60th best course in Australia. There you go. Yeah. You know, so no, but we, we, going we were incredibly lucky to have Mackenzie come here. Uh, and lastly, the Blue Bay Classic, Shenzhen Fang wins that. Uh, Sarah Jane Smith, what was that? No, no, I was just, I, mean, I was about to talk about Shenzhen. I think that's. She's remarkable. She is absolutely she remarkable. She's great. And, and we spoke of her last week saying she was the first back to back winner, and now she's the only, obviously, three time winner for the year, and it's enough to uh, transport her all the way to the top of the world rankings, which I think is a great reward. I mean, we all love Soyeon Yu. Yep. In, in here, um, we loved her reign, and I'm sure it will extend at some point in the near future. 
But uh, Shan Shan seems like a great character to me and, um, you know, a huge boost for the game of golf in China, especially to do it on her home soil. Yep. Uh, what a character she is um, wearing her pyjamas, as, as my beautiful fiancé <laughs> described them as on, on the Sunday to win, Andy. So Her favourite pants, by the sounds of things, yeah. I think, their favourite outfit. So. What, what she's done is set up an unbelievable um, tour championship in Florida this week on the LPGA Tour. I mean, it's extraordinary the 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 ramifications of that result basically open up a whole heap of end of season possibilities. Everything's to play for, just every every kind of you know player of the yeah. year, scoring average, the whole box. Everything's money, yeah. money. Everything's up up I, up for grabs. I think the only one that isn't is obviously um, the rookie, which is yep. Sung Yung Park. Um, so she, there's th- a couple of decimal points, Clates, in the race to be number one mm. at the end of the year. So uh, it will come down to a couple of putts on Sunday. Sayong's always she was second there last year. So Tommy Watson gave her a bad club on that. No, he didn't, but she, <laughs> she, um, she stuffed it under the lip of a bunker on the seventeenth hole and lost to Charlie Hull by a shot. So she's always played well there. So so and she's coming back to play this train open for her. And you might be able to shed a little bit of light. I'm not sure, but you obviously have a close connection with Suo. But she's decided not to play in the Tour Championship despite being qualified. Yeah, she played five weeks in a row in Asia, and, and plus. Uh, uh, it's an expensive week to go there. I mean, she told me it was, she, it was, it was like $9,000 to go there, to cost. Caddy, her airfare, caddy airfare, just, just the expense of the week. She said, I played five weeks in a row. It was going to cost me 9000 bucks to fly to Florida. She said, I, I can come home for a week. And her plan is to play instead, to play the first event next year in the Bahamas. Mm. So it was either play this and not play Bahamas or take this one off and play Bahamas. And she's going to go and see Cameron McCormick in, Jan- in January and- so that made a lot of sense to me. Sounds pretty sensible. what she's doing. Garcia, Rose, Fleetwood, uh, race to Dubai. It's down to the three of them. Uh, so we'll find out you know, who is crowned um, the uh, champion of the European Tour there. The Genesis Australian Open, the build-up continues. Uh, we'll be up there next week, obviously. We're all obviously, again, looking forward to that. Uh, it's going to be another big week. Yeah, it is going to be another big week. I'll, just one before we get on to that, Andy, if you don't mind. Not at all. I'm very sorry to, to interrupt the flow, but uh, the European Tour Q School is rolling on, depending oh, on when yeah, you're listening to no, this. Yes. So we're recording early Thursday, and um, I just saw some scores drop through. So we've still got three Aussies going after five rounds, um, one more to go. A little surprise packet. Jack Munro from Queensland still hanging in there. Shot a nice little 69, I think, today to be in the mix, but... Matt Miller fell 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 back a little bit with a even past seventy two. It's a pretty hot tournament over there in Spain, and, and and Ash Hall's probably got to work ahead of him. But good to see three different names vying for Australian car, uh, European Tour cards. Um, unfortunately, Richard Green has probably uh, run his race a little bit He's in that done. context. He uh, he didn't make the cut after four, among a, a host of others. So good effort, and we'd love to see those three guys go well tomorrow in the final round. So Jack Munro, Ash Hall, and Matt Miller. It's hard, it's hard getting a cut in Europe now. I mean, it's That's brutal. Really hard. Three really intense layers of Q school. It's a long grind, isn't it, to oh, get through? Yeah. So to get to get to the pointy end the way they have is an achievement in and of itself. But now that they're there, there's, they're going to be wanting to finish this thing off. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And now back to Genesis AO Radio, Andy. Um, we're, we're pumped for this. It's our fourth year of doing it. Uh, it's got some rave reviews from people who <laughs> may have questionable sanity, but no, we're, we are pumped. So it's yourself and Clates, uh, Martin Blake, Matt Cutler, Mark Allen, uh, John Huggin, and... Suo. 
Sue, you might drop well, in. I'm trying. I'm trying. Oh, well, that'd be well, great. Well, she's going because um, I'm Curtis Luck rang me to said, "Can you come and caddy for me next week?" Oh, I've got to do the radio. So I spoke to Johnny Southern. He said, "No, you go and caddy." So I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll be in when I can. But I saw her yesterday. I said, "You got to go and do some radio." Oh, I'm not doing the radio. I said, "You'd be great. Go and do the radio." So yeah, she'd be awesome. She'll drop in. That's your job to drag her in there. I'll drag her in. No drag worries. Her in there. And I, one other person might drag in is Jared Lyle. So. Uh, he's coming up, which oh, is fantastic. Awesome. Um, he's got you know a long and or well, not long. He's got a short road here, but it's going to be a very precarious few weeks coming up. Um, so he's going to hopefully drop in and say good day. Are we allowed to talk about the special project that you're working on, or is that storm at the moment? Uh, no, no, we can we can touch on it without going into depth. Um, but Martin Blake and I um, are actually starting to interview Jared for a book. Great. Which, and uh, depending on how his health goes in the next six to eight months, will um, come out next year sometime. Um, there's a lot, lot in the air right now, and the, uh, he's fighting fit for all who are interested. Uh, but he's got a critical um, phase coming up, and it's you know it, it's it's very very serious oh, what course. what he's about to endure. So um, uh, you know we have all got our fingers crossed, and not, not that the books have any relevance whatsoever that he can come through and we can actually finish it everything as we intend to if you know can i do a little segue from that it's an unfortunate segue but it's an important one to the longest day mm. i'm on this i'm doing this thing it's been around for in, into its second year now uh the longest day uh where we play encourage everybody anybody listening who thinks they can do it to play 72 holes of golf in a day at your club any club you can uh organize to have it done at in a day uh, preferably in the second, um, the back half of December. Uh, it's to what we hope to do is get people to do it, raise money on the way through, and all money goes to the uh, treatment uh, of melanoma and research into melanoma. If it sounds like something you're supposed to be difficult, and it is, I did it last year, and I know you're, I'm doing it with you this year, Hazy, so I can't wait. And we're doing it at Kerr Lewis, and we're looking forward to that enormously. If you think this is a challenge you're prepared to take on and raise some money, any money raised goes to the Cancer Council Victoria. It's really, really important. Other states are getting involved in this, but the Vicks are, are further down the track than others. If you want to know a bit more about it, www.thelongestday.org.au is the place to go. Uh, you'll have, if you do it and you raise some money and you get through the 72 holes, I'll guarantee you this, the sense of satisfaction and achievement when you knock your last putt in at about 8.30 on whatever day you choose to do it, is remarkable. It's a very odd thing to explain to people, Clates. Yeah. You're about to experience it, Hazy. It's yeah. a great sense of achievement when you get to the end of the day. I'll get any. I'll get a great sense of achievement if I knock in an eight-footer on the first hole, Andy. <laughs> any eight-footer for me will be gold. But, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Great thanks to Kulawis for yeah, hosting absolutely. us, and, and hopefully a few people can come down and say good day during the day. Um, yeah, it's just, as you said, not a specific time, not a specific club. Nope. Just get it organised. Yep. It's such a great course. And you, what you'll find is that your club, if you're a member or you play you know, locally somewhere, you'll find that your club is really, really, in more, more cases than not, uh, happy to help and make it a possibility for you to get around as quickly as you possibly can. Um, and it's obviously for a really, really, really good course. So uh, thelongestday.org.au. Uh, anything else before we shut up shop on what's been a pretty extraordinary podcast? Yeah, and it has been. Uh, it's, a it's funny how this podcast feels itself. Like, what, we never really script it. We just roll and see yeah. what happens. And 
who knows where we end up. Just wrapping up that AO Radio, Genesis AO Radio, uh, we're on air for five hours on Thursday and Friday from sometime between 11, I think we're starting around 11 o'clock on Thursday and Friday, and then from probably 12 o'clock on Saturday and Sunday at the Australian Golf Club next week during the Emirates Australian Open. Um, you can listen on earpieces at the course. You can listen uh, through the app, I think, I believe still happens. Hopefully a few radio stations will pick it up and, and do a simulcast around yep. Australia. Um, but for those generally uh, wanting to listen, um, go online and you can follow it live. You can stream it live the whole way. Uh, it's going to be awesome. We have a ball and I, I'm really encourage people to get involved with that. Uh, and just a bit more housekeeping, Andy. Um, we've had a bit of a lack of conversation. I know that Gary Player beautifully put bifurcation on the table yes, earlier, but we've had a lack of conversation about fire, uh, reviews in the last, oh, we little, have. last, yeah, little, last little while. Uh, Greg Oakford, our erstwhile um, information provider in such areas, has told us now that we have remarkably 61 reviews and 61 of them are five-star. So we Whoa. are incredibly grateful for all our loyal listeners um, and we encourage you to leave a five-star review. We will never mention you if you don't, so you better do a five-star one. Um, just a couple. Do you want to read one out, Clates, or do you want to read no. one, Andy? I'm, no, you I'm, wrote I'm yeah, struggling yeah. a bit here, but uh, what about um, this is really small writing, which is, I've been a keen listener since the first episode. If you're looking for an insight to golfing in Australia and around the world, this is the podcast, Ma Steering the Ship, and excellent additions from Hazy, Clates, and Joe. Sorry about the others, guys. It's something I look forward to tuning in at the end of each week. And that is from Nitsud Serbon. Wow, magnificent to have you on board. <laughs> I'm sorry to be pumping up our tyres, but um, apparently... Someone's got to. Someone has to. Yeah. And if we, leave, if we encourage people to leave five-star reviews, we get a higher... Pro, uh, promotability or something on, on iTunes. I, I don't know all that sort of stuff, but get behind us if you like what we're dribbling on about. Uh, what, what are you going to do with the rest of your day, Clates? We're finishing now. It's 10 to 8. We've been here since quarter to 6. Well, speaking of books, I'm doing a book with Charlie Happel. Mm. So I need to start writing. What is it about? Golf. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, um, it's a just essays on golf, just different Great. You know, thoughts and stuff. So we'll um, good man, Charlie. See how that good goes. Man. Yeah, he's doing. He's doing some. I'm doing something. I haven't spoken to Huggy yet, but Huggy and Huggy and Ogilvy will do hopefully a couple of pieces. And brilliant. Uh, Steve Williams doing a couple of bits. Greg Norman's writing something. Um, so it's, it'll be a, just a book on golf. Greg Norman have his shirt on when he writes it, Norman, or will he take it off? No pictures in the book. So. Right, that's disappointing. <laughs> but Greg on the cover. <laughs> Andy, just just before yeah. we go, I've just had a text message um, from Matt Dowling, a friend of the program. Um, he's actually, remember last week we had Tom Heaton on? Yes, I do. Uh, the young fellow who yep. was the Australian Golf Club yeah. youngest yeah. ever club yep. champion. Yep. Uh, I've just got a, a text message saying that on the in the first group of the day at the New South Wales Open, which we probably should have mentioned anyhow, and I apologise for not having yeah. done so, out in Penrith, he's had a nine iron and aced the second hole. Tommy Heaton has. Tom Heaton is the oh. new is your leader of the New South Wales Open with I, I don't know it's probably his forty third hole in one by that's the age brilliant. of fifteen. Matt good Dowling, on. the tightless Matt Dowling. Yep. Yeah, good guy. Yeah, that's great. No doubt with the tightless ball. No doubt with the tightless ball. No doubt with the tightless ball. Absolutely no uh, doubt about it. Has, uh, uh, remember Tom because last week he said he had a hole in one in his first competition his round first ever. ever. Yeah. Here he is, no doubt in his first pro event, not as a pro, but as you know, you know what I mean. Yep. Hole in one on his second hole of the New South Wales Open. 
This is extraordinary. Game's a bit too easy for oh, some people. He's a freak show, the young fella. That's no good. Uh, boys, it's been fun. We'll do it again sometime. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Uh, Michael Thanks. Clayton and Mark Hayes joining us on Inside the Ropes. Great to have your company as well. Uh, we'll see you next time.